Hello everyone, Personally Borderline here, and I wasn't planning on recording tonight, but it's downpouring outside, and I'm just checking the like audio level indicator here to see if you can actually hear it through the microphone. And I don't know if you can, I feel like it depends. It was really, really loud and really intense before. And um, I, as you guys know, I use the Anchor app to record all my podcasts and everything, and they have background music options, but sometimes I find the music drowns out my voice, and um, I don't always like the music selection. I haven't listened to the songs all the way through. But I just, I really like the sound of the rain, and I'm not sure if you can hear it, and it might come, come and go as I speak, um, because I'm just using my regular laptop microphone, but I just, I wanted that, that sound in the background, hopefully it's calming to people, it's not thundering and lightning, and I've never heard of anyone, like, afraid of the sound of, like, rain specifically, not thunder and lightning, but, like, the sound of just water, um, and most people find it relaxing, and I think relaxing is necessary for this topic, which is what well, it's going to be titled what BPD means to me, but I just want to talk about what all of my current diagnoses mean to me. And I just want to, I do want to start this video off saying trigger warning. Um, there are certain things that I don't do, and I'm going to lay them out right now. So I don't self-harm. That's not something that I've done. Um, there's... If I start talking about my romantic relationships, there's very private details that I won't share, generally physical details, so if you have some sort of, like, physical kind of trigger, whatever, this should be bad for you. Um, there will probably be mentions of suicide and suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideations. Um, and that's pretty much it, so... I don't self-harm, I won't be talking about self-harm, I won't be getting graphic, into graphic detail about anything physical. Um, I will probably most likely mention suicide and my relationship with my thoughts on suicide. Um, and that may or may not get graphic, I, I don't know, it depends on how I talk, so that's a warning within itself. And I also want to say disclaimer, like, I was recently diagnosed with BPD, I wanted, or pre-diagnosed, I like to say, and I've, I've explained it before in my other videos. No, oh, the rain's going away, stay. Anyway, but it's something that we've discussed, something that we say is a great possibility, whatnot, and then depression, anxiety. Um, so I'm focusing BPD, depression, anxiety, and it's very recent that we're talking about this and moving towards and treating my symptoms. Um, that fall in within these three disorders um, and diagnoses. Um, but it's very new, and I'm still researching, and I'm still in therapy, and I'm still learning about myself, and my therapist is still, lear still learning about me, so these diagnoses are very new. To me, they feel like they fit very well. If I were to number them, it would be BPDs, the best, um, the, the most fitting diagnosis. And then depression for the most part, and then anxiety as like a side, a, an attachment to my BPD. So I feel like my depression is manifest, like it, my depression and BPD feed off each other, but I feel like my depression is separate. And I've had these conversations with my therapist. This isn't me just reading off the internet, whatever. This is a con conjoined effort with my therapist. Um, I feel like my depression is rem 
relatively removed. They um, feed off each other, but they're two different entities. And then my anxiety is directly related to my symptoms from BPD. So I'm just going to go and continue and talk about um, what BPD means to me, what depression means to me, what anxiety means to me. And I'm just going to talk. And there's really no purpose in this in this audio aside from just, again, I, w- I want this podcast more than anything for someone to listen to this and say, you know what, maybe I should go get checked out. Maybe you have a, a mental illness and maybe you don't, but at least you saw someone and you're proactive. So I'm just going to talk about my experience and hopefully even just one person will hear my story and what I attribute to my diagnoses and will think, you know, maybe I should get help um, if they're in that headspace and they're in that place rather than them not having someone to look up to or think about or a reference point and then they end up hurting themselves. So that's my logging on the grain with me saying that to me, borderline personality disorder or emotionally unstable personality disorder is very specific to me um, and is my what I think fits me the best. I've, I've talked about this in my experiences with therapy podcast, but when I first, when I saw my first therapist, there were a couple of, so I always compare myself to say a functioning alcoholic when it comes to my illnesses and my mental health where there are people who are addicted to substances and they can't get out of bed and their lives revolve around that substance and they you know they lose their friends they lose their families lose their house all their money goes towards it they become homeless they become you know, a little off-kiltered mentally and their lives are is just getting that substance. And then there are some people, largely the alcoholics and some other drug users, who build the addiction into their lives. So they'll, they'll drink for breakfast and they will drive and they'll drive, you know, just normally and they'll go to work and they'll perform normally and they'll drink throughout their work day and then they'll go drive home and They'll drive their kids to school or drive their kids to sport and they'll go to sport games and they're they're always drunk and maybe they'll flare up with anger or they'll they'll be a little testy and when they don't get their hands on whatever substance they need, it's kind of like a regular person not getting their coffee in the morning. It's just everyone th- sees coffee as like an addiction that's okay to have, you know. Um, but I get irritable if they haven't had their drink. Um, sometimes they have outbursts because, you know, they are addicts, but they're functioning. They're functional and they're living their lives. And a lot of the time they're living their lives well. I mean, looking back, they say, oh, wow, I I put myself and my children and my families and my friends in a lot of dangerous situations. However, while they're in it, them and everyone else, for the most part, um, they're, they're pretty functional. And I find that with the a lot of the symptoms of BPD. I haven't looked into what my subtype is. I think there are about four, four or five BPD subtypes, like the quiet borderline, and I think there's like an aggressive borderline or something. I haven't researched that. I haven't had the time, and I haven't talked it through with my therapist. Um, but if one of the descriptors was someone who, you know, can kind of compartmentalize things and has times where they are quote-unquote kind of normal and then it flares up and it's really dramatic and then they have like times where they're quote-unquote kind of normal I would describe that as me um and there's a couple reasons why and I want to talk about my childhood um a little oh no yes I want to so what 
when I was younger, I've always had situations where I've I've placed a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of faith and trust and value in friends and I've always been really easy at making new friends and being really close to people and my parents would always call me a social butterfly but then there have been times when certain family members have complained about me being too trusting and too into friends and too available so I combated that by going the extreme and I pushed them away and I wouldn't talk to them and I'd be mean to them and I wouldn't be a good friend and I'd be, and additionally, I'd be mean to family members because to me, I was, in my mind, I was like, well, being a good friend is, you know, being always there, always being there for that person, being there, that support system. Mind you, I also have a very tumultuous family and a very tumultuous family past, which I, I don't think I'm going to go in too deep um, in this edition, but um family for the like aside from like a couple key people um in the breadth of it most people a lot of people that I know a lot of my friends they know cousins they know aunts and uncles they know their grandparents they know their their siblings and they know their parents and the majority more than 75 percent of these immediate family members are there for them and they feel like they can rely on them um and that they are, you know, positive influences in their lives. Um, whereas for me, I feel like the majority of my family, more than 75%, I cannot rely on. Um, they're not good influences. They're manipulative. They're abusive. They're yada, yada, yada. And my support systems are basically my mother, my brother, and my grandfather, who is now dead. Bless his soul. So family-wise, um, I would always get the images of a perfect supportive family, which would be, you know, on TV or in books or whatnot, and you have, you know, the father, the mother, a brother and a sister, and then grandparents and aunts and uncles, and maybe there'd be the one caddy on or the one, you know, drunk uncle, but, you know, it's supposed to be like family stick together through thick and thin, no matter how conflicting your family is, um, and there can be drama and aunts talking poop about each other and you know all kinds of tension but in the end people come together and you can rely on your family no matter what whereas in my experience my family is very tensions people talking poop about each other but no one can rely on each other so it's basically just having a lot of bad high school friends that you grew out of once you're in college and you look back and you're like why would I be friends with five other people and all we did was hate each other um and we never even liked hanging out with each other in the first place that's how I kind of look back on my family but I've always had this idealized um view of families in my mind so I would try and recreate that with my friends the problem is you know my friends enjoyed being my friend people generally um for the most part enjoy being my friend they think I'm stable and you know my head screwed on right and then they get a little too close to me and they're like whoa this girl's a little intense or um the reverse happens and they try and get close to me and I'm, I'm a complete wall I've had friends tell me I'm smothering them and I've also had friends tell me that they get a little um I've had one friend tell me, I forget exact, exactly what she said, but, like, I was telling her stories of how I've cut off people, and she says, like, sometimes she's even afraid 
or a little antsy about our friendship because she's not sure if I'm just going to drop her one day. So I don't know how to have healthy relationships, um, personal relationships, or I, well, they're all personal. I don't know how to have healthy personal relationships. I know how to have healthy business relationships and networking relationships and like teachers and professors and things like that. But when it comes to like, we are hanging out because we enjoy each other, I can't navigate that healthily. So when I was younger, I would always, you know, I would be so much. I'd want you to be like my surrogate blood family. We'd need to be loyal, have each other's back through thick and thin, whatnot. And always people would disappoint me because A, they had their own family. And for the most part, my friends' families were very supportive to my friends. So they they didn't need a surrogate family. It's not like I'm in foster care and we're all family-less. My family is just not as not as cohesive as most people um and those most people were my other friends so they would disappoint me in the end and then um or my family members that I do talk to would complain um that I'd be a little too trusting so then I'd say okay obviously doesn't this doesn't work well, then I'm going to be cold and be distant and I'm going to have as many friends as possible and I'm just going to change them out and I'm never going to get attached to anyone because if my own family doesn't even want to deal with me and deal with each other's and you know we're all broken and we're all terrible people then I'm just going to be a terrible person by myself and my friends don't need me obviously because they have their own families so I don't know how to have that like healthy middle um even before my diagnosis, I've always, like, since grade school, I've just learned how to navigate friendships by numbing myself to my impulse to attach and my impulse to idealize our friendship and to, you know, think of a future together and, um, and whatnot. So a lot of my friends, I, I think of as strangers emotionally. I'm not uh, too, too emotionally invested in the majority of my friends because I'm used to people walking out of my life and I'm used to being too intense. Um, so I guard myself by not being emotionally invested in them so that if I leave them or they leave me, I'll be fine. Um, but the problem with that is that then if they tell me things or they have important events in their lives, like I literally need to set reminders in my phone um, for times and days to say, congratulate this person on their on their birthday, ask this person about this job interview, ask this person about their university acceptance, blah, 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 because I will not remember, because I need to emotionally not care, and that's what I've been training myself to do, just not care, not be bothered, because if I am bothered, I get way too intense. Um, so again, when I went to therapy the first time, there's a couple reasons why I wasn't diagnosed with BPD. Um, one of them was age, because I was under 18. So a reason why I wasn't diagnosed was because I had a falling out with friends at a certain time, um, a couple years before I went, when I was 17. Uh, went to therapy when I was 17. And I kind of, I didn't distance, I'm trying to look for the word, I distracted myself with new friends and it was great until they graduated and then I was alone and I thought about what happened a couple years prior a lot and it depressed me a lot a lot um it depressed me so much that I became numb and I became very suicidal um and it wasn't like a conscious suicidal thing where it was like no one likes me I, do, I, I just want to jump off the bridge it was 
I just felt very numb to life. Um, this was my graduating year of high school, so there's a lot of things, you know, like graduation, prom, grad pictures, just a lot of, like, wrap it up kind of things, chapters, that you go through to commemorate your time. And I didn't participate in any of it. I didn't get my grad photos taken. I didn't care about prom. I didn't care about graduation. I didn't care about anything. I got my work done because I was like, I'm very much, when it comes to thoughts of ending my life, I'm very much someone who is meticulous and who... I'm, I'm trying to describe myself truthfully without... Not without triggering, because there's a, uh, there is a trigger warning, and I, I agree everyone needs to mind their own triggers, but just without creating an instruction manual for someone else, because I don't, I want, there, I want this podcast to be informative, and sometimes it, it being informative, most of the time being informa informative requires being very, very honest and talking about the hard facts, but I don't want to get in so much detail that I'm romanticizing it, or I'm giving people ideas, or I'm just giving details that don't need to be said because it's not adding anything to the conversation. So bear with me as I, I try and figure out what to say and how to phrase it. But when it, my opinion when it comes to ending my own life is I'm very functional. I have joint problems, but other than that, I don't really have any physical ailments. And I don't really have any cognitive difficulties. It's just my mental illness, my mental health issues. And I, I'm not interested in maiming myself or in making my life harder. Um, so if I am serious about ending my life, it's going to... It's, I'm either going to do it and, you know, it's, that's going to be that and it's done. Or I just, I need to trudge on. So I'm not kind of a wishy-washy person who throws away my education and stops going to clubs and stops talking to people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the business of trying to make my life the best that it can be until either, you know, I live it through and then I just die peacefully or until I say this is enough and then I, I finish it myself. Um... So, you know, I, I felt like I was on autopilot a lot of the time uh, because I was just, I was just in this, like, catatonic state because I was so depressed over feelings of events years previous that I'd never really processed, and it just made me really depressed. Um, and I was doing a lot of dangerous things, drinking on weekdays increasingly and increasingly, and um, I would have probably just like drunk myself to death or something like that um and then I met some new people and those people I attribute to saving my life um thank you those people those people I don't talk to anymore because they in the grand scheme of things they weren't the right people for me to be around um but in the moment they were a welcome distraction and they rerouted my focus for a little while so when I was in therapy at the time I was just talking about you know I went at the time, I went to therapy because I was trying to work through my emotions about things that had happened years previous, and it, it did sound just kind of like a regular caddy, like, you know, high school girls falling out, whatnot, um, but it, what it really was was indicative of someone who could not create healthy emotional relationships and emotional attachments. Um, and I that was my... Aside from after therapy when I got into a relationship that was my like my only experience with having unhealthy relationships is that I tend to have a lot high value in people and then they disappoint me and then I cut them off so um it's well, that's one of the markers of BPD just um 
grandiose um, feelings towards people and then losing those feelings completely, losing that attachment completely and seeing people as expendable. Psychiatrist. Or she was a social worker. She wasn't a psychologist, psychiatrist. She was just a social worker. And I saw her because she was cheap and because she was my race. And this is, that's something I'm going to talk about in another video or in another audio. But, um, it did just sound like, you know, she's being catty and whatnot and whatnot, but it's really important to know, like, for BPD, and it was important for me to learn that BPD isn't just, you know, you you become hopelessly infatuated with everyone you meet, and then they leave you and you have a breakdown, which did happen to me, but it, it can also be the complete reverse. So BPD is uh, characterizes people with black and white thinking, and sometimes we forget that it can be black and white actions as well. So a lot of people, yes, compared to love addiction, where it's like, very, very intense and much infatuation and the other person's getting smothered and then they leave and then the BPD um, person goes off the rails. Um, but another way could be someone completely isolating themselves, guarding themselves co constantly to the point that it's, you know, affecting their lives negatively, negatively and whatnot and like cutting off friends and constantly burning br bridges and having no disregard for other people's feelings when they feel it's time to cut something off. And that is me... 90, well, I used to say 100% of the time, 99% of the time, um, but I wasn't aware of that at the time that I was in therapy, um, that that's what BPD looks like for me. So BPD for me looks, means to me that I keep people at a distance because I've learned that trusting people hasn't really worked, um, and then, you know, I, I cut them off, and I manipulate people, and I become close friends with people who I think can give me things that I want, and I can manip manipulate into giving me things that I want, and then when they don't give it to me, or they give it to me, and it's, it's over, I, I move on to the next thing, um, and I'm, I'm someone who's very self-aware, again, like the functioning alcoholic, and I'm aware that I'm doing it, sometimes I can't stop doing it, because the impulse to get you know, the ends justifies the means. The impulse to get what I want in the end is greater than my impulse to conserve this friendship because most of the time I, I don't care for the friendship. Um, and it comes out in a lot of ways and it's something that I need to be aware of and be more proactive because I'm, I'm very aware of it, but I need to be more proactive in not acting on those impulses because that's how I ruin friendships and burn bridges and people find out that they've been used and no one wants to feel used and then I feel like a terrible person um but then I got into a relationship after that first therapy appointment and there was a lot of reasons why I got into that relationship and none of them were the right reasons and I had spent the last two months talking about why I shouldn't be in that relationship because I knew myself um but I decided to give it a chance and not the genuine college tried chance that like you know you know maybe this can be a good thing I was using it for validation and I was using this person for mostly just personal validation and to prove to myself that I I didn't have a problem because my previous therapist just said I had depression and anxiety which we'll get to um I'm, this is basically my experience with therapy video all over again or audio all over again but um no. So I just told myself, you know what, if you're going to be in a relationship, you can't be guarded. And I let all my walls down and I was completely in it. But I also knew I could be too overbearing. Anyway, I'll have, an, I'll have a, another podcast about relationships and whatnot. But when it came to the BPD, the moment I made the decision to like this person and want to be around this person and give this person a chance to trust, I built up all these fantasies of, you know... 
Um, is having the fairy tale that I want to have, having someone supportive, having someone who would replace the family that I felt that I never got growing up. And they were not, not that invested. And I knew they weren't that invested from the jump, but I still let myself succumb to that fantasy. And I, I put all my eggs in this basket and my depression was always looking at the heels of the relationship. Like if this doesn't work, then, you know, you, you got to end it like my life. Um, if this doesn't work, no one's ever going to love you. Like you, you know, you're broken if you can't figure this out. Um, so then we broke up and I, I went completely off the rails. I, you know, calling constantly, uh, begging, pleading, whatever, um, I'm glad I appreciate that the person didn't take advantage of me because I was obviously not in a good place. Um, they even said, they were like, she's unstable. I can't do this anymore. I can't talk to her at all. Um, I don't blame them, but, um, thanks for not taking advantage. And so BPD to me looks like isolation and coldness, but it also looks like mania and obsessive. Now, personally, I... Now that I've, so, so then I went to, sorry, so then I went to therapy and I talked about that most recent situation and I talked about how weird it was because, you know, I usually am the one who cuts people off and I'm cold and I just don't care about the friendship and then the moment, you know, I'm ready to let someone in and it, complete 180 and I was <laughs> completely manic and I would, would have done anything to make them stay, I would have changed who I was as a person, you know, um, and did anything they asked, even if I personally didn't agree with it. Um, again, thanks so much for not taking advantage. Um, because you could have. Um, so BPD, to, BPD f means to me mania, attachment, obsession, fixation, infatuation, when I, when I let myself... Which doesn't mean that I don't feel things for people. I just compartmentalize it and put it in a box and then forget about it. And when I open that box, there's no close. It's like Pandora's box. It's it it just lingers within me until I find something else to obsess over. Um, and knowing that, and knowing that, like intuitively, even in the past, because of what family members and friends had said to me, I now put those feelings in a box, put it on a shelf, you know, close close that door within my mind, and then I need to be emotionally like a stranger to my friends um which sucks it really sucks and then it, it's like a job keeping up with quite a few of my friends because logically you know you need friends and I do like these people and I like being around them um but I just can't become emotionally attached because then I, I become a mess um so I, I need to stay cold and sometimes that means manipulating and using people and sometimes that means cutting people off arbitrarily and for weird reasons and usually the way I cut people off is really messy and really hurtful and I completely burn a bridge and I don't know how to rectify the mania and the coldness um, to just be level and function like a regular person but that's what BPD looks like to me and now it, or means to me um, and I want to talk about what depression means to me. And depression is something that I just, depression means to me, depression means that I'm guilty. I feel guilty a lot of the times because I recognize that my life is very privileged in the sense that I have a lot of opportunity. My life is, I have 
I have a lot of hardships and a lot of hurdles for certain reasons, um, but I also have a lot of opportunity and I live in a very modern country. I live in a very accepting country. I live somewhere where, um, you know, I, I have health care, I have food, I have social assistance programs, I have a house over, a roof over my head. There's a lot of people in very different, in terrible situations, situations that I could not even imagine living through um, in different countries. So depression to me means guilt over the fact that I'm unhappy and I dislike my life fundamentally. And it's it's not just a logical thing. Logically, I should like my life. Logically, I like my situation. It's an emotional thing. I'm numb towards my life. I, I don't particularly enjoy it. I don't always hate it. I just, I, I usually do not enjoy my life. Um, and it's very hard for me to come to terms with because I'm, I'm intelligent. I seem to be on a track to being successful in whatever I choose to do with my life. Um, but at the root of it, the things that I'm good at aren't the things that I want. And it's ironic because I can also acknowledge that if it was like flipped, if I got the things that I want, um, at the expense of the things that I'm good at, I would probably still be unhappy. But, you know, I'm good at school and I'm good at networking and I'm good at work and I'm good at getting things done and being precise and you know managing people and making money and being smart street smart and book smart but I'm really bad with people and all I want is to be good with people because my whole life I felt like you know I haven't been worth anything or I've been broken or blah 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 blah. and I'm just terrible with people so it just reinforces all of these thoughts so my BPD and my depression work together because the symptoms of my BPD feed into my depression because all, all I want is to, you know, be good with people and have that kind of family feel that I've always wanted and I, I've never gotten. And, um, and I, I don't get it with friends, A, because that's generally not what they're looking for because they already have their families, and B, because my symptoms from BPD push people away or I push people away before they can leave me. And then I get depressed because, you know, sometimes I'll find myself with limited friends or I have friends and I enjoy the ones that I have. You know, I really appreciate and enjoy the friends that I have, but I can't, I can't move on from mourning the people that I've lost um, because I, because of my attachment issues. If I've gotten attached to them and I've left them and they don't fight for me, or if I've gotten attached to them and they leave me and they don't, they don't care. Um, even though I appreciate the friends that I have, I can't consistently replay in my head and mourn the things that I have lost, and I, I blame myself and I think I'm the problem. Um, and it, it gets really bad. I have different stages of my depression. One of them is where I become, I would say, um, for lack of a better word, but it's a, it's a hyperbole, but catatonic in the sense it's, it's when I wake up and I feel heavy and everything's heavy and I feel like there's lead in my veins and I go downstairs and I sit on a couch and I stare at a wall for hours and then if I have to go to work or to school, I go and I don't talk to anyone and I stare blankly for hours. And I go home and I stare blankly for hours. Um, and I have to force myself to wade through the, like my brain, to wake up and wade through the sludge. Um, that's within it. To get things done if I have things that are due. Um, and I'm very slow and my work is not good. Um, and I can't concentrate and I'm very spacey. Um, and nothing matters, and I don't feel anything, and I'm very numb. And then my other stage of depression, where I am the most normal-seeming, aside from when I'm 
manic and upper and whatever, and I'm fixating on something, but when it comes to me just being depressed and being normal, quote-unquote, um, it's when I'm most normal-seeming. I don't even joke about death or depression. I don't joke about mental illness. I have very nice, jovial conversations. I even surprise myself because I'll leave social situations, and I'll look back, and I'll think, you're so fake. You just talk to that person about how much you love your life and how happy you are, and you laughed and you smiled, but, like, you really want to die. And I'll be outside of my house, and it'll be the most upbeat I am to other people. And then I go home, and I just I become fixated on on death, and you know how how unhappy I am with my life, and blah 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 blah. And it's it's very deceiving, and I I dislike it because I feel like if anything were to happen to me in that state, I feel like all of my friends and family would feel guilty because that's the most likely. When I'm in that state, that's the most likely I would be. It's like I'm on autopilot when I'm outside of my house, um, and it's most likely that I would do something irreversible, and I would feel so bad for my family and friends because it's also the most most normal seeming I am at any point. Um, so they would all think everything's fine when it really wasn't. And then there's me like now where, um, so that's that's the thing. Depression to me looks like just complete disregard for anything you know I don't really eat I don't really move around I just sit in a spot and I stare blankly and then I'm quiet when I go to work in school can't really get a a lot of words out of me I'm not really thinking of much I'm, I'm very blank and then I get deeper into it where I'm I'm very chatty and I'm very jovial and I'm the most pleasant to be around and I'm not very depressing outwardly and then I I I find myself in situations where I'm alone and all I can think about are negative, very defeatist, very, you know, like, this is all pointless, nihilistic thoughts. Um, and it's the most dangerous to me, is the state where everyone objectively would probably think that I'm fine. Um, so just showing you, like, two sides. Like, depression can literally be, you know, there's lead in my my veins. I, I can't move. I, I can't speak. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit in the void and be in the void. And depression can also be functional. It's like you're on autopilot. Everyone around you, you seem fine. You're talking. You're laughing. And then the moment you're alone, you think... I could end it all right now. I should end it all right now. And in your mind's just focused on that. Um, so much like my BPD, my depression takes two very drastic, two very drastic sides. And it's it's kind of ironic because the side where I am just kind of sitting and staring, I'm so spacing and so blanked and I'm so numb that it's one of the times that I'm least likely to harm myself or do anything because I just, I don't have the energy and I don't care. I don't even care enough to plot anything, but it's when I'm, I feel energetic and I feel, you know, like I, I can get something done. I can get things done and I'm jovial and I'm happy and I'm upbeat, but I'm still depressed. That's when it's dangerous. But anxiety, which I say anxiety is, I say, co, is codependent on the BPD, whereas, like, the depression and DP, BPD are kind of separate, and I just think that because at the end of the day, my depression is me being genuinely unhappy with my life and not being able to control the thoughts of hopelessness and just pointlessness that are in my mind it's just that a lot of the times those thoughts manifest themselves with my problems with people but sometimes it's not even that sometimes I just think you know I think the world's terrible and I think you know there's no way to get ahead and I 
I think about politics and religion and philosophical questions and my depression is just me generally being unhappy. Whereas my anxiety, I think, is directly related to my BPD and the symptoms that come with it and the way that I deal with others because um, it usually comes about when I'm outside. So my depressive, depressive states tend to come... My anxiety comes usually after my after I've my euphoria of meeting a new person or starting a new relationship with a new person platonic or romantic crashes and then become very anxious and I become very manic and my anxiety is just like it's pumping it's like you'll you'll never find someone who likes you you never find love blah, blah, blah you'll never find a friend as great as that again no one likes you like all your friends are going to leave you this friend couldn't stand you why do all your other friends stand you you know like they think you're annoying they think you're this they think you're that there have been times when people have left me or I've left people and they didn't buy for me that like I've I felt like I was dying I felt like I was going to throw up if I didn't act out on impulses or I wouldn't even have an impulse especially if I leave someone I feel like I tell myself I don't have a right to then re-enter their lives I need to wait until they decide to re-enter my life but most of the time people don't want to re-enter your life because they think you know you don't like them or whatnot um like they don't want to re-enter your life because you know you you threw them aside so I'll just sit there and I'll, I'll feel like I'm dying because no one wants me around no one thinks I'm worth it enough to fight for me meanwhile I created the situation um, and I get anxious and I sit in it and I won't have an impulse to do anything because I, I keep telling myself you know you can't do anything you're the one who left them you need to wait for them to come to you so I just sit in this ball of anxiety or if they leave me I think you know what you just need to fight for them or you need to you need to show them you care and maybe they'll care again about you and then I'll get all these ideas in my head of how I can catch them in situations or you know run into them or whatnot whatnot um get really obsessive get really stalkerish get really scary um and I'll even, I'm so self-aware that, like, I'll think in my head and I'll think this isn't helping anything, this isn't making anything better, but the, the thoughts are just, you know, you got to do this, you got to do this, and if you don't do it, like, you're, I, I literally feel like my body's seizing. I've sat on the couch crying, shaking, you know, jumping up and down in my living room because I'm trying to not act out on an impulse. And the, the heaving and the sobbing and the shaking just gets so bad so so terrible that I need to react on the impulse to feel some sort of relief and it's relief for a quick second until it turns into oh they're typing what are they saying oh they're not typing what if they blocked you oh they're not typing what if they hit you blah 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 blah, blah. so there there really is no respite to the cycle of anxiety and I just live in it until there have been a couple times when I felt like you know, I've, I've sat and I've sat down and I've said, you know what, this is a real problem and you really need help. And these are all before diagnose, diagnoses and before, like, the therapy that I consider helpful. So I never understood why these things were happening. I just knew they happened and I tried to mitigate them as well as I could. And there have been times when the anxiety has been so bad that I couldn't and I've acted out. And there have been times when I could just step back and deal with it and... um not act out so every it's it's hard sometimes sometimes it's really easy to you know push the thoughts aside and continue my day and then sometimes it's really really difficult and I'm shaking and I, I feel like literally I'm going through withdrawals um 
and I just, I need to talk to this person, I need to see this person, or I need this person to want to talk to me, or I need them to want to see me, why don't they want to see me, why don't they want to talk to, uh, talk to me, why am I not good enough, and these thoughts just keep going, keep going, keep going. And the way that, so that anxiety is just, I don't really feel anxiety outside of my personal relationships, I don't feel it, it at work, I don't feel it in school objectively I don't feel it you know when I'm getting things done it's it always comes up after falling out with someone or I get really anxious if I'm really trying to get someone to like me um, and and it's hard because I know I'm difficult but I want them to like the true me and it's it's a lot of a lot of it's a I feel like a balancing act every time I interact with a new person or every time I interact with a, a longtime friend that we we've just had a you know kind of like a fight or something and we're kind of shaky it always feel like feels like a balancing act because I always feel like I do everything wrong because relationships that are around me tend to fall apart um so that it's I I literally every time I talk to someone as a friend that I want to talk to I feel like I'm balancing on a freaking tightrope and that every step that I take is wrong and I'm about to fall off and onto the rocks but not died, just made myself that I'm stuck there for three days, I need to eat the plants next to me until someone comes, and oh my gosh, um, that's what it feels like, I, every time I talk to new people, I try and make new friends, and I, I actually care, it feels like I'm walking a tightrope, and then I need to not care so that I don't feel like I'm walking a tightrope with everything I say, every move I make, and I just, I don't care too much that I become rude and I become abrasive, and then people think that I'm just like standoffish and intimidating, and it's so difficult. But the anxiety goes from a mania where I'm I'm constantly trying to figure things out and trying to figure out how to get these people to like me again or how to telepathically get them to text me because I can't text them because I'm the one who told them to, you know, go fly kite. But really, I wanted them to, like, come back and, like, beg for me or whatever. Um, and then I finally realized it's not going to happen. And then my anxiety makes like the mania calms down but it goes straight to the depression and then they meld and it's and it turns into you know no one's ever liked you your friends don't like you blah 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 anxiety talking 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 and then depression so you should end your life you should lock yourself in a room you should do this do that stop eating whatever 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 um and they kind of play in cohesion until I become super super numb and I end up staring at walls, and then I don't feel anxious because I don't feel anything. And then I go into the deeper depression, which is when I actually seem fine, um, but I'm not fine. And I think about death every time I'm alone. And I also don't feel anxious because I feel like I'm on autopilot until I'm alone, and then all I can think about is death. Um, and then I pull myself out of that, and then I'm like what I am now. And now is what I call my normal, which is where I... I come out of that whole cycle and I look back on the things that I've done wrong and I basically because most of the times when I go through that cycle it's because I've completely ruined something so I look back on it and my general disposition is just oh trusted someone never doing that again so I, so this whole cycle was sparked from me getting into that relationship that I shouldn't have gotten into which most likely probably saved my life in some ways. Um, however, I, I can't say if I should have or shouldn't have because I know I got something out of it. I got therapy. I got my diagnosis. I got probably my life, but I also probably shouldn't have been in it. Um, and then I've gone through this whole wave and now this is the normal I felt in probably six months. Um, 
<laughs> a month and two week relationship, six months to recover. And, um, I am relatively normal. I make somewhat, I make somewhat negative and depressing jokes, you know. Um, I feel the pit of anxiety in my stomach because I can't stop thinking about the past and I can't look over the past and I think of every cringy, awkward thing that I did or said when I was manic or when I was trying to manipulate people or when I was trying to get the person that I was with to just want me forever. Um, then I look back and I think of the things that I said and I think of the things that I did and I just cringe all the time and I feel anxious because I just, I know it's going to happen again at some point in my life. Um, and it's just, it's really tiring. So, you know, now I'm not suicidal and I have the anxiety just kind of like lingering and the depression's there because I just generally don't like my life. And the BPD, that's the one thing though. I always feel like I'm faking the BPD when I'm in this space and I'm going to tell you why. And it's because... I don't feel any of those moon swings. So my BPD is very directly related to just personal relationships and the fact that I cannot foster healthy personal relationships. And the healthiest way I can have personal relationships is by compartmentalizing my feelings, not feeling anything at all and putting them in a box. The most unhealthy way is letting myself excuse me, feel everything, become attached, become obsessed, and literally start stalking people and obsessing over people. And you don't want to do that because it's one thing if your mental illness only affects you, but when you start becoming a nuisance to other people and start harassing other people, that's when the laws and police and all other kinds of things come in. And that hasn't happened to me, and I don't want that to happen to me, and it's happened to a couple of my friends um, with similar ailments um, and mental health issues where they've gotten, they've encountered the law because of how obsessive they've been. I don't want to be in that position. So the healthiest way out of my two extremes is just to distance myself and then have a friendship be an active choice until I get tired of them and I either manipulate them or I just leave them for a newer model. Um, so because of that, my BPD symptoms are at a low just because I'm dealing, I'm still dealing with my relationships in a very unhealthy way, but it's an unhealthy way that keeps that kind of attachment and fear of abandonment at a low because I, I can't fear abandonment from someone I don't care about abandonment, abandoning me, if that makes sense. It's a lot of like double think if you think of like the 1984 um, book by George Orwell. It's a lot of me convincing myself that I don't feel the connections that I do, just as a general social human being. Um, it's very tiring. It's just as tiring as being manic. It's less tiring because I'm not afraid of someone calling the police on me for any of my actions, but it's just tiring because I know that it's, it's equally unhealthy. Um... So because of that, I just kind of focus on school and I focus on my life and every once in a while I kind of cycle through my friends and check up on them and I, I see my reminders and it's like, oh, text this person, make sure they're not dead. And I need to pretend to be excited to hang out with certain people and want to make plans with people and then I need to lie and say, you know, I didn't, I couldn't do this because of work, but really it's just because I, I don't care. I don't want to hang out with you, but I need to do it because logistically I want to be your friend. It's just emotionally I cannot let myself want to be your friend. So sometimes it's more draining than it's worth hanging out with you. Or it's, there's a lot of times where in my head I think it's going to be draining because I need to remind myself that these people 
quote-unquote mean nothing to me so I really dread hanging out with someone and then I go and we actually hang out and it's great because they're my friends for a reason and I enjoy hanging out with them and I, I forget because I keep convincing myself that I actually dislike them so that I don't get attached and then we hang out and it's like a great time and I actually feel better for it but sometimes I forget that that my feeling my negative feelings towards people sometimes are a choice and not because I just I'm forcing myself to hang out with people I don't like I don't know if that makes sense so I'm always like oh gosh why did I make these plans why am I hanging out with this person and then I actually hang out with them and I'm like oh my god that was a great couple hours let's never like not hang out again and then I go home and I'm like oh you're doing it you're doing it and then I need to reel it back and then the next time they ask me to hang out in my head I'm just like oh my god I don't want to hang out with this person blah 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 and then we hang out and it's great and whatever anyway so because my BPD isn't acting out much because I force myself to be numb to my friends, I always feel like, you know, like, am I faking it? Is it real? Like, what's happening? Like, am I actually depressed? Am I, well, the anxiety is, it's literally a physical feeling, and the depression, I've, I've learned, oh, one other thing, one reason why I also never thought that I was depressed was because my, I find friends that are similar to me, and not all my friends have BPD, some of them do, and some of them just, like, they don't really, really hate their lives, but, you know, their lives aren't perfect, and they make suicide jokes and depression jokes kind of to cope with just the way that they don't find their lives perfect but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have clinical depression or any sort of mental health issue so I always thought that I was fine because me and my friends would always joke about death and suicide together and we were in suicide packs and quote-unquote and whatever and then I came to a point where I sat down and I realized wait all of my friends are joking but I'm actually serious so that's another important thing to if you and your friend if you and your friends are like that where you joke about these kinds of things and it's fine if that's how you cope but you realize that you're a lot more serious than they are and you're bringing it up a lot more than they are or one of your friends is bringing it up a lot more than everyone else check on yourself or check on them and make sure you or they are okay so yeah I always thought that I was fine and I always thought that um I always thought that I didn't have depression because everyone, oh, look, everyone around me hates their lives. Everyone around me is ready to be in a suicide pact. But then I realized they were largely, largely joking and I was not. And that if you got me in the right situation at the right time, I would be more than ready to end it all. Um, so, yeah, so the depression's always there and it's very prevalent, especially with the suicidal thoughts, even though I don't self-harm. The anxiety is always there because I'm constantly obsessing over and I know I think that's how the BPD I always say it doesn't manifest itself because once I numb myself to everything again completely I go back and I'm just in that work mentality success mentality but the way my BPD comes back up is that it it I obsess over the past and I live in the past and I live in the past relationships and I think about the million things I could have said or the million things I could have done now that I have the knowledge that I have now to make things different and to fix things and have been a better friend or a better girlfriend or a better person um, to have none of this happen and to put myself in a situation where I wouldn't have this mental illness because then I'd know how to navigate friendships and manipulate the friendships so that it would have worked. So I work myself out 
just by obsessing over the past and obsessing over everything that went wrong. And then that obsession makes me anxious because I'm anxious with everyone that I meet that it's going to be a flaming garbage pile of a disaster again. And I become depressed because every time I obsess, I think about everything I did wrong and I think I'm worthless and no one likes me and no one fought for me. And that's why I have these, I don't have these friends anymore. And what did I do wrong? And blah, 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 blah. So actually my BPD is present all the time. It's just not always very in your face and it's not very manic and when it's low and it's dormant it's just me trapped in my own head um so thank you for listening this is was one of the longest podcasts i've done to date we're at 53 minutes and 47 seconds and i want to recap in this whole segment so what i wanted my question to you and again i need to give my you my little speech um my tumblr is still personally borderline at tumblr.tumblr.com but i don't check it anymore because it's too many places you can always dm me or tweet at my twitter at purse borderline at prs borderline please do hashtag ask purse a-s-k-p-r-s-p-e-r-s if you have any personal questions you want me to ask in a fun Friday Q&A or anything, or if the question, um, if you want to respond to a specific video, don't put the title because Twitter has character limits, but try and be specific which video so I can do themed responses um, for podcasts or just respond and I'll just fit it with the response audio that um, makes the most sense. Anyway, and if you ask me a personal question, then I assume it's not a response and it's just you want me to do a Q&A. Also, please get the Anchor app. Please, please, please support the people who created this amazing um, platform. You can start your own podcast for free. You can just listen to podcasts. It's supposed to be like a social media, but for audio format. Um, you can comment on my segments in my podcast. You can call into my station, and if you do that off the app, I will go to your station and send you a personalized message um, through call-in, and I will also make my make a anchor exclusive audio and shout you out on anchor and thank you for reaching out to me through anchor so get an anchor account you can make it anonymous with a fake email or whatever you can put your name on it whatever you want to do um connect with me that way comment on my stuff but most importantly call into my station but if you don't want to do that dm me or tweet me at on twitter at at purse borderline um and i might make a curious cat one of those ask fm thingies so that you can ask me things anonymously now that my tumblr isn't running but we will see and today's question slash comment is what do your mental illnesses or what does your mental illness mean to you and what does it look like to you and how does it follow the stereotype of your mental illness or like the kind of outlook that people see and most importantly how does it differ because how it differs and how it's personal to you can really resonate with someone else who's going through something and they can't really put a finger on it because they're not the exact poster child for bipolar for schizophrenia or for borderline or for depression or anxiety or an eating disorder they might not be the exact cookie cutter you know mold of it so they think oh I don't have this but if they hear your obscure ways of how it manifests itself how it manifests itself maybe they will see themselves in it too thank you for listening and as always I'll talk to y'all later